This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Given the crazy news stories coming out of the Vatican at all times these days, especially in the light of the aftermath of the Amazon Synod, and the constant globetrotting by Francis to the far reaches of the world to push the mission of the Novus Ordo Seclorum. It's pretty easy to miss the subtle changes going on in Rome that point to possibly seismic changes coming for the Catholic world and the world in general soon. Look, I'm no prophet, nor have I ever claimed to be one. However, we can take some educated guesses by the political happenings in the Vatican to have a good idea of what is likely coming down the road, and we have an interesting story of those subtle changes to report. In short, it prepares that Francis is preparing for the end of his rule. He has been for some time, but a personnel shakeup in Rome leaves little doubt that he is preparing for the most important change in the hierarchy of the church to happen in the not-too-distant future. So let's dive into this. Rorade Celli has reported on two personnel changes made in the past few weeks that have traditionally been aligned with the coming end of a pontificate. These changes are always made based on the intuition of the reigning pope, who begins making changes to the personnel of the papal office in light of the possible shakeup coming associated with their death, or I guess in the case of Benedict, their resignation. The article in question uses some examples of this behavior from prior to Benedict's resignation, and it provides two recent examples, including one that signals who Francis's personal choice of successor would be, though that hasn't always meant anything at the conclave that follows the papal death. I'm going to go over those two examples and then provide a third one that really shows that the minds behind Baradicelli may be onto something, as well as give you a story that we've that pretty much I and all my peers have been reported had reported on anyway that caused a lot of alarm. The first example they provided that Baradicelli provided was of Father Fabian Padaccio, who served as a special secretary to the pontiff over the last six years, a post he began very shortly after the election of Francis. Father Padaccio is set to leave the role of personal secretary, while maintaining his position as a special assistant in the office of the Congregation for Bishops, where he presently assists Bishop Ilsan Montanari, the present secretary of that office. Bishop Montanari is set to leave the, the office for a traditional bishop's role in Brazil. Vacating that office, the secretary of the pontiff, is done to protect the bishop in question when a pope believes his tenure is coming to an end, and there have been rumors that Francis's health hasn't been all that great, to be honest. Even in the papacy, there can be political punishments doled out when one regime ends and another takes its place. Father Fabian Padaccio is being said by Vatican insiders to be the frontrunner for the new secretary of bishops' role, an office whose primary job is to assist the Roman pontiff in the selection of the new bishops. And, of course, that comes with him being elevated to the office of a titular bishop. Pretty cool. By itself, that doesn't seem like an extraordinary change of personnel, and taken in isolation, it actually really isn't. Francis has been known to shake up his personnel office all the times, and he is not exactly bound by tradition himself, as he has amply demonstrated. To quote the Rorate Celli article, quote, In modern times, it has become standard practice that the special secretary to the pontiff is appointed bishop when it is thought the reign is coming to an end, a sign of gratitude for services carried out, 
and also a way of protecting him from possible re uh, retorsion. The work of a pope's special secretary creates friendships, but also generates less amiable, less positive sentiments. End quote. This office is one of symbolic importance, not just managerial importance, and so savvy observers of Vatican politics tend to keep an eye on that office. The article points out that some months before he announced his resignation, George Ganswein was appointed to this office by Benedict XVI. But then there's this story, the one involving a well-known figure from among the College of Cardinals, Cardinal Luis Tagle, who has been elevated to the office of the Prefect of the Propaganda Fide, more commonly called the Office of Evangelization. If you're not familiar with Tagle, here he is at the Synod for the Corruption of the Youth, or the Synod of the Bishops, in 2018, showing how he is just down with the youth culture. Warning, cringe incoming. Hello, hello, my test, my test. Okay. <laughs> People. <laughs> Is that okay? Can we do it this way? Huh? Okay. Well, 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 why not? Huh? Okay. My dear young people of the world, especially the young people in the churches of the world, we are here in the Synod of Bishops and the meeting is about to end, but the Synod will continue. Where you are, in your homes, in your parishes, in your schools, the celebration and the implementation of the Synod will continue. Sorry if that was cringe-inducing, but that is the kind of man we're dealing with here. Tagle is loved by many, but like Francis, he is a strong neo-modernist of the worst variety, and he has long been on the radar of many of us as a possible Pope Francis II. His recent Advent message was filled with the kind of modernist claptrap that we've come to expect from the establishment of the Vatican. Cardinal Luis Tagle's predecessor in that office is Fernando Filoni, who is 73 years old, meaning he isn't set to resign until April of 2021. For those who don't understand why that's key, Filoni isn't set to retire until he hits a mandatory age of 75 years old, where he is then expected to submit a letter of resignation and then await the Pope's ruling on his fate. And Popes often just ignore those letters. See Cardinal Donald Worrell for that. The appointment of Tagle to that office places him in the perfect position to learn how curial politics works and gives Vatican insiders a chance to get to know Tagle more personally. It's a win-win and an endorsement of Tagle at the next conclave. And if you can't tell by now, Cardinal Tagle is far from my first choice to be the next pope. He places somewhere after the Vatican janitor for that job, at least in my book, but I'm not the one in charge of making these appointments. But again, I'm sure to some people these two appointments don't mean that much, that some think this is a stretch to think that Francis is either considering resigning, like he's talked about numerous times in the past, or that he is suddenly concerned about his health and longevity, especially considering that he has already lived longer than both of his own parents. And in general, taken by themselves, these appointments may not mean much at all, but they shouldn't be understood in isolation either. These aren't the first recent shakeups of the Vatican's hierarchy that are directly related to, or symbolically and traditionally related to, the selection of a new pope. Do you remember the case of Cardinal Farrell? The close friend of Nighty Night Tobin was selected earlier this year to take up the mantle of Camerlengo, an office that is symbolic most of the time, but when a pope dies, he becomes the governor of Vatican City and helps prepare and manage the next conclave. Farrell is an odd choice for that, given his close proximity to the likes of Ted McCarrick and the allegations surrounding him that he know, knew of the evil McCarrick was engaged in and remained silent in the face of some pretty heinous crimes. He was also a member of the Legionaries of Christ, and was the personal driver for the embodiment of clerical crimes Marcel Maciel, who Farrell also denied having any knowledge of his crimes. Now think about that, the personal driver of a monster like Marcel Maciel, like not knowing what he was up to. It stretches credibility. 
In other words, Farrell is a man who apparently knows how to manage crises, and he knows how to keep secrets, even if no one believes his claims of deniability. In the event of Francis's eventual death, Farrell is the perfect man to hide or destroy incriminating documents, and to help guide the selection of the next pope to ensure that either he is in the mold of Francis, or at the very least is the kind of moderate who will not try to undo the Francis Revolution. Farrell is the embodiment of the company man in that regard, loyal to the cause as demonstrated by his long association with the very worst modernists in the history of the church. A Catholic Herald article on Farrell from February 2019, when he was elevated to this position, said this of him, quote, Farrell also caused controversy last summer, summer of 2018, after he suggested in an interview with the Irish Catholic magazine Intercom that priests lack the necessary experience to provide adequate marriage preparation to engaged couples, saying, priests are not the best people to train others for marriage. They, the comet echoed a statement of his from September 2017 that priests have no credibility when it comes to living the reality of marriage. End quote. Yes, Farrell is a company man, and we often forget that one of the hallmarks of this papacy has been the undermining of traditional marriage and the sacraments. Farrell is a perfect man to manage the things and to keep secrets while a successor of the same mold as Francis is selected. And the next pope is almost certainly going to be cut from the same cloth as Francis anyway. After all, as I reported not long ago, Francis recently elevated several men to the office of cardinal, and most of them are not retired or near retirement age. The exact percentage of Francis-appointed men to that office is unknown to me, but it is around 55% of the voting cardinals. That means more than half of the electors were selected by Francis. That means most of the votes necessary to select the next Roman pontiff are securely in the hands of the worst rev of the revolutionaries. Sorry to rain on the parade of anyone who is cheering at the possible coming end of the Francis papacy, but all indications are that things will continue on as they have been for the foreseeable future. The steps have been taken to ensure that Francis gets the successor he wants to continue his work. That, of course, doesn't mean that it will turn out that way. After all, the cardinals in the next conclave could actually do what they're supposed to do, and, you know, maybe by finding themselves in a position where they could actually prayerfully turn to the guidance of the Holy Ghost to aid in the selection of the pontiff, Again, as they're supposed to do. But the process for selecting a pontiff has been political for so long that it seems unlikely. But you never know. These men are still princes of the church, and they could very well find themselves in a crisis situation of, un of historic proportions, one that would require them to embrace the faith to steer the church out of a messy or catastrophic situation. It's happened before in the history of the church. So what do you think of all this? I know that the implied ending of the Francis Papacy in the next handful of years probably makes some viewers happy, but unless something drastic happens, I don't think the next Pope will be all that much better. And the idea of Pope Tagli just gives me nightmares. But let me know what you think in the comments below. Until that time, keep praying for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.